Hey, I have a question today as we continue in our series called The Son of Man, and it's this. What do you think about when you hear the word obedience or obey? Chances are you think about um, dog training, when you were training your dog, right? And so you go to a place and they teach your dog how to obey your commands and they reward them when they do well and they discipline them when they do uh, not well, right? Or maybe you think about that wedding you went to a couple weeks ago where the pastor asked the bride if she would love, honor, and obey her husband. Of all the nerve, can you believe he asked her that? Or maybe if you grew up in church, you think about God. And maybe you think about a God who is always on the prowl, kind of waiting for you to make that mistake and ready to grab you and call you out. Maybe it looks something like this. Do you think he can fly? Here he comes. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. Don't try and hide because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with a hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. (laughs) We fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see. And you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook. (laughs) Philip, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. All right, all you sinners, come with me. It's time to pay the piper. There's only one cigarette. I heard that. So if that's your view of Jesus, maybe your best hope is that he'll forget your name too. And so you won't know what she did. All credit where credit is due. That video was done by a a church in California called Vintage 21 Church. They did a series about 10 years ago where they had several of those. If you go on YouTube and search Vintage 21, you'll find them all. And they're all fabulous. So Uh, we're in week four of our series called The Son of Man. And we've been talking about the life and ministry of Jesus on earth. And during this series, we're emphasizing his humanity. You know, we're emphasizing the humanity of Jesus. We said in week one that, that we, as Christians especially, we understand the deity of Jesus. We know that he was God, but we have to be convinced of his humanity. The, the disciples all understood his humanity because they walked with him as a man, but they had to be convinced of his deity. And so uh, we've been saying, I believe, and many, many, many other people do too, that even though Jesus was fully God, we believe Jesus was fully God, that while he walked the earth, he veiled his deity so that he could live fully out of his humanity. And so if you missed the, miss the service week one, you really should go listen to the podcast because it's really foundational for this whole series. You can find it on iTunes, just search Genesis Church Carmel, or find it on the Genesis Church app. And so if Jesus really did live fully out of his humanity, how did he do the things he did? That's what we're asking during this series. So how did he perform all these miracles? How, how did he teach as someone who had great authority? How did he 
make disciples in a way that the world had never seen and hasn't, before, or hasn't seen since then? Well, the answer is that he set priorities and he relied on resources, the same resources that are available to you and me. And that's what we talked about week one. And these six resources that Jesus relied on throughout his ministry are really the, 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 uh, form the body of this eight-week series. And those uh, resources are these. It's the Holy Spirit. Uh, we talked about that week one. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was led with the Spirit. Then when he left earth, he sent the Holy Spirit to live in us. The second one is prayer. Last week, Kevin Russell was here, did a great job talking about Jesus' prayer life and why he was in constant prayer. More than 40 times in the New Testament, about 33, I think, distinct instances, we see Jesus go away to pray. He did that out of his humanity, knowing that he had to develop that relationship with his Father. Uh, The other resources are obedience, the Word of God, exalting the Father, and relationships. Those are the ones we're going to talk about over the next four weeks. The really cool thing is that these form this acronym called Holy Spirit Power so that we can remember what these six resources are. And so hopefully our goal is by the end of this eight-week series that we'll be able to remember that Jesus had these six resources that he relied on. Now, as I look at that list, something comes to mind. And maybe it comes to mind to you too. Did, uh, how many of you grew up with Sesame Street? Do you remember that they do this thing on Sesame Street where they put four pictures on the screen? And they'd say, sing a song that kind of goes, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. You know that song? So when you look down this list, do you see one that kind of stands out as maybe not being like the others? See, for me, obedience doesn't look like a resource. It doesn't look like something I could draw on. Obedience is like something that I do. Not or not do, right? It's, something, it's not something that I need or something that I can draw on. It's something that I do. It's not really a resource. It's more of a requirement, right? When I look at obedience, that's what I think of. Uh, but I think that view is why we don't always obey like Jesus. Because for Jesus, obedience wasn't just about obeying a set of rules. It was about pleasing his father, it's about developing intimacy in that relationship with his father. It's like, um, do you know the concept of the five love languages? You guys know that concept? If you Raise your hand if you know that. So Gary Chapman, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book many years ago called The Five Love Languages. And the concept is that everybody feels love differently. And he kind of identified five ways that, especially as couples, it's really written for spouses, but I think you can use it in a lot of different instances, a lot of different situations. Everybody has a different way that they feel love. And so, like, guys, if your wife's love language is quality time, it means that she enjoys it when you spend time with her. And so you have to go places with her. You have to sit with her. You have to listen to her story, the whole thing, the whole story. Okay, no matter how long it is, you sit and listen because you're spending quality time with your wife. If her uh, love language is acts of service, then you, you know, get up after dinner and you wash the dishes, you put the kids to bed every once in a while. You, know, you do things to help her feel loved, right? And ladies, if your husband's love language is physical touch, that means you have to know what his love language is and so that you know how he feels loved, right? And so everybody's got a different love language. Well, if we try to live like Jesus, what it'll help us to remember that obedience is God's love language, Obedience is God's love language. We see this in Jesus' own words in John 10. He says this in John 10, 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down and take it up and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So in other words, he says, my father told me what to do and I do it. Jesus obeyed and it pleased God. Obedience is God's love language. Now, as with all of these six resources, the resource itself is not the goal. And so the reason that we study prayer is not so that we'll be better prayers. Okay, it's not so that when we get together with our family for Thanksgiving, everybody always says, hey, Steve, would you pray today? You always pray such nice prayers. That's not the goal of prayer. The prayer is to develop an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father that loves us. Right? And so when we uh, talk about the Word of God next week, the goal of learning the Word of God is not to memorize a whole bunch of verses now, so that you can spout stuff off whenever somebody asks you. The, the goal of memorizing the Word of God is to develop intimacy with your Father. And just like that, with obedience, uh, the goal is intimacy with God. And obedience is one of the resources we rely on to get us there. Now, with that in mind, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take uh, the kind of the middle of my message here, and we're going to look at some examples of obedience from the life of Jesus. And I, I usually tell you to open your Bible somewhere, but there's a whole bunch of stuff we're going to skip around. So uh, maybe look at the side screen or write down the verse notations on your uh, message notes or in the app, and you can go and look at them later. Um, but the first, so, uh, the first time we see obedience play a, a part in the life of Jesus, he's 12 years old. What's happened is his family, his, uh, probably his extended family, has gone from uh, Nazareth in Galilee up in the north. And I don't know what I'm pointing to. There's no map here. But they've gone from the north down to Jerusalem in the south of Israel uh, for Passover. Now, it's customary that people would go down there at least once in their life that they would go to Jerusalem for Passover. But Scripture tells us that Jesus' family, it was their custom to go every year. And so every year they'd go down to Jerusalem for Passover, and it's probably a big uh, crowd of people in his family. They'd go down there, they celebrate the festival for a week in Jerusalem, and then they get their caravan and they start heading back home. They get a day away from Jerusalem towards Nazareth, and they realize that Jesus is missing. Where's Jesus? Has anybody seen Jesus? They go back through the caravan. He's not there. And so they turn the whole thing around. Did your parents ever tell you that? I'm going to turn this car around. Well, this is what happens. So they turn their car around. They go back to Jerusalem. They take the day to travel back there. And then they spend three days in Jerusalem looking for Jesus before they finally find him in the temple. And uh, he's sitting there and he's listening and he's asking questions and he's learning. Now, so many times people make this mistake. They, they say uh, at 12, Jesus was in the temple teaching because it says that they were amazed at his authority. But when you read the scripture, it says he was asking questions. And so, so many times we think that already at 12, Jesus is teaching people. Well, he's not. He's asking questions. At 12 years old in Jewish society, it was the first time you were allowed to be a part of the service. Before that, you just like sit quietly. At 12, he's finally able to ask these questions. And so his mom comes to him and says, where have you been? We've been worried sick about you. And Jesus said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Or didn't you know I had to be in my father's house, depending on which translation you have? Now, stop right there, because a lot of people take that language from Jesus to mean that Jesus was already knew and understood that he was the Son of God, that there was something special about him, that maybe he was the Messiah. And isn't that really playing the God card at 12 years old when he said, I had to be in my father's house? What do you think about that? Have you, have you ever thought about that? What, what did Jesus know about his future at this point? What did he know about his identity? What, what, do you think he knew about the cross yet? At 12 years old, do you think he's already thinking, you know, in... What is it, 21 years, I'm going to go to a grisly death? I don't think so. 
And I'll tell you why in a few minutes. But surely by the age of 12, Mary and Joseph have told Jesus about the story around his birth, right? You guys know the story around Jesus' birth, right? You celebrate Christmas. If you do that, then you know that story. And uh, probably Jesus felt really alive in the temple, maybe for the first time in his life. He's in this temple. He's around these people that are at least listening to him. He's able to ask questions and interact. And, and he's growing and developing this relationship with his heavenly father in the temple. And it's certainly more exciting than boring old Nazareth, you know, back home. And so Jesus is really having a good time at the Passover in Jerusalem. But watch what happens. When his earthly parents say it's time to go, Luke 2.51, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Jesus understood that being obedient to God means we're obedient to the authorities he he places over us, including, not limited to, but including our parents. And so Jesus was obedient to his parents out of obedience to God. There's a student out there that needed to hear that today. The next time we see obedience in the life of Jesus is when he shows up at 30 years old uh, down in the south of Israel at the Jordan River where John the Baptist is baptizing people. Matthew 3 is where we see that. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now for it is proper to, for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus says, It's proper to do this now because I have to listen to what my father is telling me. I have to listen to what my father said, and this is proper. This is all righteousness. Then John consented to that. Jesus was obedient to his father in being baptized. By the way, baptism is a command. It's not a suggestion. If you're a believer, baptism is not an elective. It's a required course. So we can talk and argue all day about whether baptism is required for salvation or not. But it's clearly a command from Jesus. I mean, the scripture tells us that we are to repent and be baptized for forgiveness of sin. Jesus himself said his last instruction to his followers is, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And so it's clear that if we are Christians, we are supposed to be baptized as a way to proclaim that. And and if that's you, if you're in that boat, you're a Christian, you've never been baptized, your next opportunity is right here on November the 1st. We're going to do that at the end of this series. You can sign up for that even today on the app or at genesischurch.me. I'm saying Jesus was obedient in baptism. So let's look at a couple more examples of obedience. John 14, 31 says, but he comes, he's talking about the enemy here. There's a lot of Uh, things we could talk about with this verse, but this is just where it starts. I don't know why we decided as humans to put the number 31 before but, but that's what we did. So verse 31 says, but he comes so that the world may learn, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus in his humanity was perfectly obedient. You and I aren't always perfectly obedient. Jesus did exactly only what his father commanded him to do. One more. Philippians 2.8 reminds us that Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In the toughest moment of his life, Jesus was obedient to his father's plan. And as we hear this, we can make the mistake of thinking, well, of course he was. Jesus was programmed to be obedient. He's like some robot. He could only do what was hard-coded into him. 
But I think as you read Scripture and you see how Jesus struggled with some of these things, you can't reach that conclusion. That we can't just take the conclusion that Jesus had to obey. If he, if, it was like, if he was like that, he wouldn't be like us in every way, as Hebrews 2 says, right? And, and so that view of Jesus goes against so much of Scripture. Instead, as we read through the New Testament, what we see, we read through the gospel accounts, especially of Jesus' life, we see that time and time again, Jesus always chose obedience, That like you and me, when he was tempted, he had a choice and he always chose obedience. And so I think if we are to obey like Jesus, we have to understand not just why Jesus obeyed, you know, to develop intimacy with his heavenly father. But we have to understand how he obeyed. And I think we get some insight into that in Hebrews 5.8. It says, son though he was, he, Jesus, learned obedience from what he suffered. See, Scripture says that like us, Jesus had to learn obedience and that he learned obedience by what he suffered. Now, now so often when we think of Jesus and suffering, we go right to the cross. I think that's natural because clearly Jesus suffered on the cross. I mean, he did that for you and me. You know, Jesus who lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, a death that you deserved, that I deserved, took our punishment and took it to the cross. And there's no doubt that he suffered for that. But Scripture reminds us that even during his life on earth, Jesus suffered. In fact, if you read Psalm 69, Psalm 69, most theologians believe, is, uh, it's called a messianic psalm. So it predicted the life of Jesus uh, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And here's what it says about him in part. Psalm 69, 7 says this, For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I'm a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I'm the song of the drunkards. Now think about this for a minute. Uh, Jesus was born in tenuous circumstances, right? We know the story of Jesus' birth. His uh, mom and dad weren't married yet. And even though an angel appeared to both Joseph and Mary and told them what was going to happen, we don't have any indication that that angel appeared to the entire town of Nazareth and said, hey, give him a break, all right? She wasn't really sleeping around or, right? There's no indication of that. So people in Jesus' hometown were left to conclude whatever you would conclude if the teenager next door to you got pregnant, Right, And so this is the life that Jesus started with. And so clearly he would have suffered for that. He would have uh, endured scorn for that. He would have been mocked for that, even by perhaps the elders of the town, which uh, Psalm 69, 12 says, are the men who sit at the gate. The elders of the town would sit at the gate watching who came in and came out kind of providing security there. And so the men who sat at the gate uh, mock me, it says, probably because of his, uh, the story around his birth and maybe even his upbringing. Now think about this too. It says that he's a foreigner. I'm a foreigner to my own family, stranger to my own mother's children. You know, that verse we read in Luke 2 a little bit ago where Jesus was in the temple and his parents came back to get him. That's the last time in scripture that we ever see Joseph. After Jesus is 12, we have no indication of what happened to Joseph. In fact, in all of Jesus's adult ministry, you see Mary and Jesus together. Joseph's nowhere in the picture. It's Mary and Jesus, Mary and Jesus. Most uh, scholars believe that's because Joseph probably passed away when Jesus was a teenager or maybe in his early 20s, but probably when Jesus was fairly young. And it's quite possible then that Jesus had to take up the mantle of the father figure of the family. So Jesus, being the older brother, would have been the authority figure and certainly would have been uh, a stranger to his brothers. 
I don't know if any of you have had to raise your own brothers and sisters, but that relationship changes, doesn't it? He's not just one of the guys anymore. He's the father figure. And so Jesus probably has some of that dynamic going on. And, and plus, he's got this zeal for God's house. And so he's trying to get his brothers not just to obey him, but to obey God, whose standards are perfect. And Jesus, I mean, how'd you like to be Jesus's brother? Let's face it. Right, And so Jesus is probably a stranger to his mother's brothers or his mother's uh, children because of this life. And then take that, take that and add to that that he's developing this intimate relationship with God that clearly the religious, even the religious elite don't understand how he's so close and so connected to God. And so I think you can see that Jesus suffered even during his life on earth because of his relationship with God. Jesus suffered. But Scripture tells us that he learned obedience by what he suffered. And he suffered when he obeyed. Now, you and I suffer when we obey too. You recognize that, right? When we choose obedience, we suffer in the short term. How does that work? How do we suffer? Well, let me show you this. Uh, this is in your message notes too if you pick this up. Whenever we face temptation, we have a choice. And our choice is we can choose obedience, we can choose to obey, or we can choose disobedience. Now, let's say we choose disobedience. If we choose disobedience, we benefit in the short term, right? When we choose to disobey or disregard an order from God, uh, we get short-term pleasure. I mean, let's just face it. Sin is fun, right? That's why it's rampant in our society. It's why it's rampant in, frankly, every society since the Garden of Eden, but because sin has a fun aspect to it. There, in the short term, it is fun. In fact, uh, in Hebrews 11.25, it's talking about Moses, and it said that Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with God's people rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I love this verse and how it reminds us that the pleasures of sin are fleeting, that they go by fast, right? They're in the short term. So when we choose disobedience, we experience pleasure in the short term. But then what happens? And disobedience in the long term leads to suffering. The Bible says it this way, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. I'd call that suffering, wouldn't you? In the long term, when we disobey, uh, we suffer. And so disobedience or sin leads to short-term gain, short-term pleasure, and long-term suffering. Like short-term gain, long-term pain. Right? When we choose disobedience, that happens. Now, we know this intuitively. We have phrases uh, that we repeat all the time that remind us of this. I mean, think about food, right? If you think about food, uh, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, right? Yeah. Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, right? We know these statements. We know these phrases. And that always stops us from doing the wrong thing, doesn't it? No. We know it intuitively, but there's a difference between knowing it and doing it. We all know people who have made bad decisions, bad, bad decisions to disobey and continue to suffer the consequences even to this day. But there's hope for us. I mean, if that's your story, that you're still struggling with a consequence from a bad decision you made a long time ago or a series of bad decisions, there's hope for you. Um, because 1 John 1 says this, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if you're one of these people that's suffering from bad decisions, you can know that you're not alone, that all of us sin. And if we claim to be without sin, the truth is not in us. But then 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us 
from all unrighteousness. So that's what happens when we choose obedience, when we, or choose disobedience. When we choose disobedience, we uh, gain in the short term, but it's fleeting, and then we suffer in the long term. Now, the other option when we're tempted is we can choose obedience. And when we choose obedience, we suffer in the short term, right? Because we give up on that pleasure. We forfeit that short-term pleasure that sin offers. We uh, give up temporary pleasure, but in the long term, we experience joy. And so Jesus learned this. Hebrews 8 says, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And so Jesus learned this. And then Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And it says this, for the joy set out before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy... Right, the long-term joy for the joy set before him, way out before him, he endured the short-term suffering of the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He kept his eyes on the joy that was to come. Now for you and me, there's a promise too. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, But then it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here's what we can learn about obedience from the life of Jesus. I believe Jesus did not always know his father's plan for his life. I believe that he first heard of the plan probably in the 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted. I believe that some of the things that Satan tempted him with probably speak to that. I believe that uh, scripture tells us over time it was revealed to him. In the book of John, we repeatedly read where Jesus says he watches his father, that he's being taught, that he's learning. Luke 2 says that he was growing in wisdom. Like, right? You can't grow in wisdom if you already know everything. He was growing in wisdom and in stature. It's kind of like this. Uh, my family, I won't be here next weekend. My family and I are going on vacation. We're taking a trip. And uh, when we take a trip, I think there are map people and GPS people. How many of you are map people? Raise your hand if you're a map person. Not very many map people. It's usually guys. I like to get out the whole map, spread it out on the table, map out the whole route. I know where I'm beginning. I know where I'm ending. I know every twist and turn along the way. I know if there's construction on this road, here's the way we're going to go. I know if we run behind, here's a place that we can stop and eat. I've got the whole plan right in front of me. I love to have the whole plan right in front of me. No map people in the room? Nobody? Okay, this is just me. I love to see the whole thing. I'm a map person. How many of your GPS people then? I guess that would be all of you then. And so you just put the end, uh, end destination in, you push start, and the, that slightly frigid British woman tells you where to go, right? Uh, <laughs> turn left, head north. I don't know which way north is. I don't know. Where am I? You know, turn left. And, and so she gives you one step, and when you're faithful with that step, she gives you the next step, right? And if you follow her every step of the way, you eventually end up where you're supposed to be. I believe we serve a GPS God. I think that God very, very rarely gives us the entire plan, shows us the entire map. I think because sometimes for some of us, for most of us, it would be way too scary to know the journey he's got us on and to see the end. But I think he wants to give us the next step. And I believe he gives us the next step. And when we're faithful in that, that he'll give us the next step after that. And I think that's how God wants us to obey. And I believe that's how he wanted Jesus to obey. And that's why I believe that Jesus didn't know at 12 the entire plan for his life. Because I think if he would, it might have been way too scary for him. It probably would have scared him off. 
because Jesus in his humanity had fear. Jesus in his humanity was anxious and nervous without his connection with his heavenly father. You know, when you use a map, you can see where this whole thing is going to end up. When you use a GPS, you only get the next turn. You turn five miles and go right. If something goes wrong, you've got to wait for her to tell you, right? God operates more like that GPS. I think for most of us, if we could see that whole journey, we'd back out, just like I believe Jesus would. You know, when God was taking me through my transition from corporate executive to full-time ministry, he didn't show me where this was going to end. He gave me one step at a time. He said, sell your house. He said, quit your job. You know, when I was faithful to one step, he'd show me the next step. And then eventually I wound up here. But I believe if he'd have showed me the whole thing, I probably would have backed out. I'd have gotten cold feet. If he showed me the whole map, I might not have taken the next step because it would just be too much for me. That's why I believe Jesus didn't know. I believe he didn't know. I believe he had to be perfectly obedient to every step, even when he couldn't see the end. Today, I want to share with you the story of a family in our church um, that had to be obedient. They had a moment where they got to choose if they wanted to obey or disobey. And and this woman, uh, just like us, chose uh, in that moment, had a choice of obedience and disobedience, and she chose obedience. A family just like ours, but one that God asked to take an extraordinary step of obedience. Take a look. And they took them all out on this escapade, and they're all in jail. 
And I remember I went to church that Sunday and I was so angry about it and the worship team was singing and I was sitting there and I was just crying. Um, and it was really placed heavily on my heart at that moment that I could either continue with being angry at him and being bitter or I could just show him love and compassion um, that Jesus always taught us. So I decided that I was going to do that and I never asked for and I'm sorry, I never asked him to explain why drugs were always more important than his family. Um, I just would send him encouraging letters and I would go and visit. Um, we would, I'd give him money on his books and you know, ask if he needed anything. I got a call from him advising me that he had been found collapsed on the cell floor and that he had end stage pancreatic cancer. We went up that weekend to visit him and um, we're told at that point that he had six to 12 weeks to live. I asked him if I could bring him home to take care of him. And through that, I think that God really offered a time for me to love my father unconditionally without any expectations and really be able to have peace with the relationship that I had had with him and really just be thankful. And then six and a half weeks later, he died in our home. Because I followed what the Holy Spirit placed on my heart three months before, I was able to be able to say goodbye to him and find peace in our relationship um, to close that final door that a year and a half ago I would have never had that opportunity to do. I can tell from that video that Jamie is really glad she made the decision she did but I wish you could have heard her wrestling with that when she was wrestling with let, whether to let her father back in her home or not and just deciding whether to obey what she was sure was the Holy Spirit speaking to her to bring him back in and reconcile or to disobey and just get on with her life. But I know that she'd tell you now she was very glad she listened and obeyed because she had that precious time for reconciliation with her father. And now that he's gone, if she hadn't made that decision, she would have missed that chance. It all happened for her because she was willing to obey. You know, just like Jamie, you and I have a choice. We can always choose obedience. But now remember, obedience isn't the goal. All right, the Pharisees were obedient, but Jesus told them they didn't have the love of God in their heart. The Pharisees had the wrong motive. An, an intimate relationship with God is the goal. In fact, uh, you can write this down. It's probably the most important thing you'll hear today, and I saved it for last. It's this. You can obey God and not love him, but you can't love God and not obey. Because obedience is God's love language. So let me ask you, where's God calling you to obedience today? What, what part of your life is he working in uh, to try to make you more like Jesus? Do you trust him with that? We're going to go into a time of worship through song here in a minute, but I'd love for you just as we go into that time, just bow your heads and close your eyes in an attitude of prayer. And just contemplate this for a moment. You know, say, just ask, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Where are you leading me? What are you asking me to do? Where, where do I need to obey in my life? I think for some of us, we've been praying for the same things for years. And for some of us, God's going to lay a brand new thing on our heart this morning. Maybe today he wants to lead you to a place of obedience that's beyond your comfort zone. The question you need to ask today is, do I trust you? 
Lord God, as we consider what it means to choose obedience at all times, we can't do that apart from your Holy Spirit. God, we need you in our lives so that as you, uh, as you give us direction, as we're tempted from the world, as we're tempted in our flesh, Lord, that you can guide us and direct us. We need you to be that voice behind us saying, this is the way, go in it, Lord, and help us to hear that voice more clearly and to be obedient to that voice. God, we want intimacy with you. We want a deeper relationship with you. And we know obedience is just one way that we can get that. So Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to trust you in every moment, in every place that we hear you talking to us and calling us and taking us beyond our comfort zone. Help us to say, yeah, I trust him. I'm gonna take that next step. God, we praise you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.